Yeah, there was an article on the New York Times. Uh, you know, whenever New York Times is writing something about something and like the trend is over. And it was like, have we reached peak podcast? And it was like, uh, and it was talking to this professor and it was like, podcasts uh, play into people's, what do you say? They play into people's uh, feeling of self-importance. I agree. I agree. I think about that all the time. When you told me people were watching this podcast, I'm like, who the fuck else? Who's listening people to are. This? People what? are. But you know what, Mr. Professor Know-It-All? That's what my therapist says I need to work on. <laughs> I, need to exa- I need to act like I exist in the world. So, yeah, fuck you, professor of communication. (laughs) No, here's the reason everybody has a podcast, because a lot of them fucking suck. And it's like, if these idiots can do it, I can do it better. Yeah, so we are. And what? Cocky self-importance right there. Point made. Welcome to Microaggressive. Two friends, two coasts, too much to talk about. BG in San Francisco. It's Jay from BK. Throwback time. Do you remember what A slash S slash L means? Yeah. Age, uh, sex, and location. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about that, too. And also, <laughs> a crazy way to get abducted and murdered. <laughs> Going on to uh, AOL it's chat It's crazy, rooms right? And, uh, like, we, we were very trusting back in the day. <laughs> yeah, sharing information and all sorts of stupidness. Like, do you, do you remember how many dates do you remember or hangouts or hookups or whatever the hell we used to call it do you remember coming off of like aol chat rooms do you have Um, any memorable ones i have one no but it wasn't through an aol chat room but it was interesting and it was one that could have got me killed (laughs) somehow um i'll tell you if you want to hear it uh it was actually somebody from school that we both know mutually who passed the message on to me he was like yo which is also random because we weren't we knew each other we weren't that cool and he was just like oh so there's this girl i know her she's a friend of mine oh wait um, is this is this my sworn enemy uh i think so. was it yeah interesting yeah yeah, yeah. Huh. so he's like oh and um he's like you know i'm just gonna give her a pass a number over to pass you a number it was like pass your screen name it wasn't pass your number so it was pass number and i think it became a screen uh, name. or maybe it was a screen name and then yeah. a number but we agreed on the meetup. I'm in Brooklyn. Uh, she was in Jersey. <laughs> and it seemed like perfectly logical for me to be like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to go to Jersey and we'll meet up. Because I want to play it off like I could get around. <laughs> and I wasn't restricted in where I could go. I'm trying to like set up. I can get on New Jersey and Transit. I, um, I can get across the water. I don't, so I get on, get there. Um, she was looking good, actually. And we... Went to another location, a second location. Which Never go to a second location. To do. Never go to a second location. She's like, at this location, I'm going to meet up with my friend. And then I ended up meeting a friend who was like a, a mother hen. Um, and she was chaperoning essentially as the, the bulk of the night. And then I got back home and I didn't tell my parents about it. So nobody knew that I went to Jersey at that time. And uh, it was cool. Um, but yeah, meeting people online outside of one person, I think, we had conversations through text. That was the most it ever went to. Maybe one conversation where 
<laughs> we didn't really talk about anything. It was just like, okay, you're a real person, and then you hang up, although it might not have been a real person. Um, but I never met somebody through a meeting online. Have you? Yeah, yeah. As, a, as an adolescent? Yeah, a couple times. Oh, damn. You never told me that. I think I did. Um, yeah, I, it, they weren't. They weren't great. Um, <laughs> I remember there's this one. Yeah, I definitely told you this one. I met up with, I I met up with her, and we went to... Okay, there's uh, there's a few stories out now that are coming, but flooding back into my brain. Um, there was this one I met up with her, and we went to the movie theater on Forty Second Street. I forget what movie we saw, but I remember, and I hate to say it this way, she did not uh, look as she described. Uh, I don't even. Oh, you didn't get it. I don't remember. This might have been like pre getting picture days. Uh, okay. um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you had to create it off the power of the words. Um, and I remember this story, I believe I've told you. Um, she smoked. And that I remember we, and we kissed. Crazy. And it was the first time I kissed someone that smoked. And it was disgusting. Uh-huh. And I spent mm-hmm. like the entire, I remember going to like a bodega and getting like a whole thing of like Lifesavers and like a Coke and like gargling. It was disgusting, dude. Yeah, so no smokers ever since. Um, mm. Yeah, there were, there were a handful. Um, but yeah, like some dumb shit. We're like, okay, you live out on Coney Island on the last stop in the projects? Cool. I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll commute. And I'm just like, well, like, where the hell am I? I'm so far from home. If like I'm getting set up to get robbed, it's like, it's on me. Um, I told you, I'm either going to die doing something heroic or something stupid. It must have started when I was in high school. I saw that Shaft movie. I don't know if you saw the first one, but they filmed it on my in my neighborhood. Uh-huh. Um, Buster Rhymes was in it, and it was it was good. Uh, who's the dude from that movie on HBO? It's a TV show about the robots. Jeffrey something. Jeffrey Wright. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Jeffrey Wright. Yeah. Jeffrey Wright was in the original Shaft. Yeah. He played People's memorable role, but they filmed it all on Ocean Avenue. And they just came out with a part two, and then the part two, he isn't has this like part three son. or something? No, nah, this is part two. Okay, because it's like the grandfather, the father, and the, the son. Grandfather's in it exactly. All right. So, um, it was interesting watching the movie because Shaft is supposed to be this no nonsense dude who will just call you out on everything. He, he takes no crap from anybody. Blah blah blah. Um, reminded me of my dad, like ninety percent of the stuff that he did and said on on screen, and um. My sister brought up the point. She was like, you know, they're not a lot of dudes like that anymore, especially black men who will just tell you what's up to your face and not be worried about the repercussions. And we started talking about that uh, Netflix documentary, Black Godfather. Um, Same guy, I think his name was Charles Avast was his name. Um, He formulated all the deals with like Michael Jackson, Quincy Jones, um, head of all of the movie studios he had on his Rolodex, and he just basically controlled Hollywood from behind the scenes. And how those type of guys and the way that they are just doesn't exist anymore. And that's going to be a generation that's just going to be lost uh, pretty soon. Um, so it was a whole big conversation we had. Right. I don't know. All from I, a Shaft movie. I don't know if I see I see the point of that story. That there's not black men that just just doing things their way. Um, I don't know how to describe this. With this guy, um, like people that just like they'll be like, I don't give a fuck. They just tell you what's straight on their mind. Exactly. So the guy Charles Vass, what he did essentially was um, 
you're walking into Hollywood as a black entertainer and you know people are going to beat you in the head and try to take your money and whatever, rob you and steal you, uh, everything you have. Um, so what he did was bef- when he met these people, regardless of whether or not he did business with them, he would for free, free of charge, basically say, if you're going into this office to sign this record deal with this company, um, this is what you need to ask for because this is what they're paying the white people. Um, this is what you need to demand. And this is where you draw the line and basically setting them up to win in this world, this entertainment industry world. Um, nobody else was doing that at the time. People were sort of playing the game, trying to keep their jobs and protect their necks and weren't really sticking their necks out for other people. And I feel like with Shaft in that movie and this guy, uh, Avast, they were just in a scenario where it was like, it doesn't matter what my color is. This is how I do business. You're going to deal with me or you're not going to deal with me. And I'm just going to do things my way. Um, I don't know if I'm explaining that correctly, but I guess, have you seen the documentary or Shaft? No. Okay. Um, have you seen the first Shaft? Like the 1970s version or the Samuel Jackson? No, no, no. The first Samuel Jackson Shaft. Uh, Probably, yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I see your, I see your point. Like, it's just you defer to the person that like spoke up the loudest and you hope that the person that spoke up the loudest was like righteous. Right. Um, I feel like there's still people like that. It's just, you got some people that are like that who are assholes. I don't think you see people like that. I really, really don't. So like, all right. So you what, know somebody in your life that you see like that, that just looks out for people and just doesn't take shit. Yeah. From anybody. Yeah, they're a bunch of mediocre white men, though. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no, no, no. If I'm being real, though, right? It's like I'm talking about like black dudes thriving in their industries, doing things their way. Like this is how I'm running my shit. Nah. You can either get down or lay down. Yeah, and I. Right, so this actually brings it to a good point. So, so I guess, right, and this might make me sound whatever, but I don't really give a fuck. Like I see a lot of black dudes in Silicon Valley who try and act holier than now. Um, they get on some like trying to use race as like this third rail, like this dude I know, don't know him too well anymore, but mm-hmm. I don't know, like out of nowhere it came out being real black, like real, real black <laughs> and raising all this money. And he's like the perfect story that people want to get behind and be like, oh, we're supporting this black entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of like, I don't necessarily think he's righteous in it. He's just using it to his advantage, if that makes okay. sense. Yeah. Um, gotcha. But it's like, I feel like when you got to like say every second about being black or about being different is like, are you really using it for righteousness? Or are you just using it to get what you want from it? It's marketing. Yeah. I've seen that in um, my industry also. And uh it's like it's like when you it's it's sad, right? Like imagine, uh, I know I, I, this didn't happen out of high school, but this happened to me in my middle school. Where there's like the one black teacher, and you're just mad oh. excited, and then that dude is whack. <laughs> yeah, and you're just like, ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> um, that's what it feels like sometimes. It's just like, oh shit, and then you just like, it's like I don't like dude. Mm. Like fuck, bad vibe, bad vibes. Um, topical uh, thing I was thinking about the other day this whole um, go back where you came from shit with uh, what's your name with uh, and Trump at the rally yeah yeah 
So I remember the first time I heard somebody say that. I was in seventh grade. I was going mm-hmm. to this private school up east of Manhattan. And uh, there was this kid. Um, I forgot to say his name. Um, this kid named Quazy. Um, he was a black kid. A couple, I was in seventh grade. He was like in ninth grade. And he was like militant, right? Like we was in this like all boys up east side school in New York, but he was like militant, always talking about stuff and, you know, just kind of provocative and stuff. And we had this speech contest every year you had to write a speech and then you'd go in front of the whole school and all this stuff. And he wrote a speech in ninth grade about reparations. Mm-hmm. And I, it was a good speech for a ninth grader. Right. And, um, I remember walking out of the assembly and I heard this kid, a seven, another seventh grader in my class, um, I heard him say to somebody else, if you don't like it so much, why don't you go back to Africa? Mm. And I turned around and he saw me look at him and he knew I heard I heard him. And we just like looked at each other. Never mm. liked the kid. Um, mm. Fast forward like 15, 20 years later, there's like some alumni shit for uh, my old middle school. And I went for some odd reason. And this dude is here. That same dude was there. And, um, you know, I still have this like image of him, that seventh grader in my head. And um, I've also heard stories about him over the years when he was in high school and college. He was a bit of an asshole, but he seemed nice enough. I met his wife. His wife seemed mad chill. Um, and this part of me was like, yo, let me give him space that he's grown since being that seventh grader. Right. Yeah. But I don't know. That's some like real deep shit to say in seventh grade. So I'm like, you know, go, go back to where you came from. The crazy shit, though, is um, so that kid crazy. Um, I didn't really keep up with him too much, but we were in the same program. And I heard years later that he um, he had joined uh, the army and passed away in Iraq. Oh, shit. Yeah. And it's funny because I remember I just remember that whole thing. Right. Like this dude is, <laughs> you know, just he's seventh grader, ninth grader, whatever, learning about shit, writes about like reparations but ends up joining the army i don't know what his reasons are but ends up joining the army yeah, ended up dying for this country serious. you know what i mean yeah and then i'll never forget that dude saying go back to africa and it's like all right well he died for this country um so yeah all this shit this week man just like brought all that stuff up where you know your man now they're saying republicans want to like get rid of all refugees coming into the country and shit and i'm just like yo man like i don't know short memories man like people <laughs> People come to this country and like take whatever they can get. They do all the work nobody wants to do. They join the military. They do all the shit that most of us that have been here for a few generations just have the privilege to not do. And then like telling people to go back. And then all these fucking idiots like at the rally, like hooting and hollering. It's like, yo, go back to your cave, man. Like, seriously. So um, while you were telling me that story, you were making me think I was trying to explain myself better about the whole thing with uh, a shaft. Um, Avast, my dad, people just like saying how they feel regardless of what's going on. Um, so when you were telling that story, it made me think of my dad telling me the story when he was younger. He came from Trinidad. He came straight to New York. Um, obviously, at that time, segregation worked a little bit differently in the North versus the South. And he took his first trip down South to an ice cream shop. And he goes with some money and he wants to buy like an ice cream float or whatever. And he puts the money on the counter. And the soda clerk says, oh, um, I can't take your money. And he's like, oh, it's free? 
And then the guy's like, no, I can't take your money. Um, you have to go like outside uh, to like the, the entrance out back. And he was like, what do you mean? I'm right here. I have my money. I'm giving you money. I want an ice cream float. This is him at like 12 or 13 at the time. This is like, think Emmett Till lynching, uh-huh. whistling at white women type shit. And he just didn't understand it um, because he came from New York. So he gets upset and he curses out the soda clerk in the South, 12 or 13 years old. And he throws the money on the table and says, fuck it. I don't even want your ice cream anyway and leaves. Um, his personality and that way of thinking and that attitude has been with him the entire time. And as you're telling a story about your friend who um, passed away in the war, my dad, uh, he was pretty much given an ultimatum, either join and enlist in the Vietnam War or go to jail. And he enlisted. He did two tours, um, put in his dues for a country that wasn't really his up until very recently uh, before joining the army. And we were at a deli. Fast forward, this is like 2000 and something. And we walk into Carnegie Deli in Manhattan. And he's walking in. He has his Vietnam hat that he now wears with his rifling medal and everything. Um, and there's this white guy who's probably 10 years younger than my dad and his son, who might be my same age. And as they're walking out, we're walking in and he says, fucking nigger in Manhattan. <laughs> what? So <laughs> I, I hear it and I'm like, whoa, cause I'm, I'm from New York too. Like nobody's calling me that in New York. Um, and I turn around and I'm, you know me, I'm the peaceful type. I wanted to fight this guy. I wanted to... <laughs> punch his dad in the face and then punch him in the face. And I turned to my dad. <laughs> I'm going to punch like, you oh, by association, you... motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I turned to my dad and I'm like, yo, did you, did you hear what they said? Cause I almost, I was offended for him and he didn't hear the comment at all. But my dad, you know, back in his prime, the outcome would have been a little bit differently. And um, I don't know why I was thinking about that when you were telling the story, but just people who uh, do things their way, for their entire lives you either align with them or you don't and you get out of the way i don't don't know how to explain it but yeah that whole conversation you were telling me brought up a lot of uh memories about him and the way he did things yeah and uh yeah i appreciate your dad's service you know and i've always thought about this man like as shitty as this country has been like in, in some ways like the military is this great like equaling force right um, is it though? So all right, here's my, here's my theory and you know, punch holes in it. Right. But so, you know, like when we went to college and everybody freshman year has to eat the same shitty food, like everyone mm-hmm. has to have meal plan and yeah. like, it doesn't matter like how rich you are, like whatever, like you got to eat the same shitty food as everybody else. Mm. There's something about like the military or like shared experience in this country. We don't have shared experiences anymore, but like you could be like, if you fucking didn't get your way out of it, some rich kid from Connecticut in the army and some like farmer's son from Georgia, but like, I'm better learn how to work together. Are you going to (laughs) die? So my question is how frequently did that happen? Um, Because yeah, obviously if you're, you come from a well-to-do family, you can find ways to get out of those situations. Look at where the recruiting centers normally are. I know, I know, I know. Like I said, my dad jail or, (laughs) enlist yeah um there's a funneling system going on so yeah i get if somebody got in it would be that way but in reality i don't think that's the game that they're trying i mean for a lot of people especially like poor white people like the military is the way up right um same as like 
black and brown folks, right? So, you know, you're never going to come across, like some dude from Brooklyn is probably not going to come across some kid from West Virginia. Mm. They both enlist, you know, they begrudgingly have to learn how to work together, right? And you see it sometimes with old veterans. I actually thought your story in Carnegie Dollar was going to go someplace totally different. <laughs> I thought it was oh, going to be like, you know, some old white guy sees your dad's hat and gives him a nod of respect or some shit, right? <laughs> no. That's why it was so, it was, it was, think about how Dave Chappelle says, fucking nigger. Like, that was the way he said it when he walked out. And I'm like, what? I know. Yeah, I think I think I've used this joke before, but I'm gonna use it again because I think it's I still think it's funny. Yeah, I'm just I'm just unimpressed with racism. This is not creative. You call me the same things that you call my grandfather. Like at least come up with something new, dude. <laughs> oh, I got a funny story. Um, not not to cut you off, I met a racist guy, um, at work, uh-huh. and the uh, I don't even want to the impotence that his racism had was almost embarrassing. For him, it's like you um, want to help him out, right? You want to like whisper something in his ear, it's like yeah, exactly, call me a nigger. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like it was so, it was so he wouldn't, so he didn't know who I was, um, and he thought, I guess, that I was beneath him somehow uh, initially, just from first sighting. I don't know why. Maybe it's maybe, skin, color, maybe it's skin color your skin. Color, oh no, I'm gonna take exactly. a guess. Take a guess. <laughs> <laughs> so I, um, then he realizes, you know, where I am on the food chain, and he. He kind of tightens up and gets more respectful, but then resents the fact that he automatically tightened up. And then the whole time I'm talking to him, he won't make eye contact. His wife is right next to him and she knows there's tension. So she's trying to crack all these jokes (laughs) and like lighten up the room. Um, I end up ignoring him completely because I know that's what's going to piss him off the most. So I just stop talking to him and start talking to the wife and uh we get the business done yeah, you but, know that's um, gonna piss off somebody if you start talking to the wife wait, what is it? So, you know the history of uh talking to uh the wife of someone who's racist <laughs> yeah it was it was it was weird and then um she he filled out a questionnaire and on the questionnaire that was directed at somebody else that i work with um who does the interview a lot of his answers were mutt m-u-t-t and i was like what like what what i just <laughs> like that's weak that's something like a middle school racist would do yeah. um to put these words on there it was just it was just weird yeah this um, yeah this could be uh this could be our get rich quick scheme we can teach racists how to be more effective it's like how do you, how to make it really hurt make it really hurt yeah taken from two black and brown men to teach you how to really get at them hard we could do, I would say we could do online classes, but they might not have internet access. So we might have to, um, <laughs> we have to do like a church revival. We might have to go down to like those really like fundamentalist churches. Um, yo, we, who are those two black women that's on YouTube that like Trump? Those like Silk and whatever, those two idiots. Uh, idiots. Yeah. We, I know who you're talking yo, about. Yo, we could be like them. I don't know. We could be like them. Nah, it, it's like, um. You know, they, then we could also give them, we could give them like a certificate that says you're not racist because you know two black people. And then we charge them for taking pictures with them. So then they could have that in their pocket. So when they call somebody a nigger, they'd be like, but I'm not racist. Look, two black people certified that I'm not racist. Yeah, you know, I think I'm onto something. Man. It's a business. It's a business, man. This whole, this whole country is about business. It's about business of race. Yeah, man. Not not to make it heavy, but uh, yeah, yeah. This week, dude. Like, yeah, like mediocre white men doing shitty things that people ignore. 
Epstein is a whole nother joint this week. Your man is convicted of being a pedophile. <laughs> but no charges and the option to only spend like 12 hours in jail. 12 hours 12 in jail. Hours out Yo, jail. I go to work for tw- more than 12 hours every day. <laughs> you can- in prison eight hours a day. <laughs> I'm saying, it's like yo like yeah yeah i would love to sleep someplace quiet like <laughs> you know he wasn't sitting sleep on his own fucking cot you know what i mean like, yo like how you men get away with uh it's uh this is this is american experiment b that being said i'm here i'm gonna try and make this shit work but like I don't know. Don't act like this shit is like pre predestined and perfect, yo. Like, nah, it's 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 formulated and controlled. And speaking of which, Epstein, they were supposed to come out with a documentary. They just um, scrapped. They threw it away. They said it was too distasteful, so they're not going to report about it. <laughs> what was it about? I'm imagining all the shit that's going on uh, and all the seediness that's been going on for years. But all of a sudden, you can't report the news because <laughs> it's too distasteful. That makes no sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all that being said, man, uh this is beautiful there's beauty in the world. I was in uh Yosemite co weekends ago. Uh yeah, man, natural world is is amazing. You know, shout out to the National Park Service because somebody built all those trails and everything in the middle of the wilderness mm-hmm. so I could go mm-hmm. walk on it. Um and take pictures. Yeah, take pictures. Uh yeah, man, kid from Bushwick being in the woods is still kind of like crazy concept for me. Uh, second time in my life, I camped outside. Congrats! Thank you. Survived. I feel like I'm like collecting Boy Scout like badges, but like over the course of a lifetime, <laughs> <laughs> still not to put up a damn tent. Uh, but whatever, it's all good. Do that. Yeah. You think you're going to teach little Jay all the outdoor stuff or just wait till you make some white friends in college? <laughs> nah, I think I would. Um, baby steps, though, because somebody was telling me about a camping spot upstate that sounds pretty cool. Um, shout out to having a backyard with a tree. <laughs> um, the backyard at my okay, the house. New York yes. City wilderness. Exactly. So it was funny. I went to somebody's house who lives in Brooklyn also, and you go into their backyard and the entire block, there are no trees in anybody's backyard. In my backyard, the house I grew up in, um, there's this huge tree that's been there since I was, for as long as I can remember, 70 years, 80 years. Um, it hovers over all of maybe four um, houses providing shade. And there's another tree growing up from behind us. And to be able to just be on Notion Avenue and then turn the corner be able to chill and look up and only see the sky, the clouds and like trees and breeze and all that stuff in my backyard. That's something I didn't appreciate as a kid. And now that space is limited, um, even though we have a park nearby, it's just nice knowing there's a little bit of outdoorsiness in our backyard. Out of maybe like five years before we moved out of Brooklyn, I begged my mom, yeah, let's plant a tree in the backyard. Let's plant a tree in the backyard. And she's like, hey, whatever. So we got one and he's like, it was like it came as like a stick. It was like a weeping willow. Oh, I hate those trees. Yeah, and apparently, like years later, after we moved out, I was talking to people on my block. And I went back, and they were like, "Yeah, that tree got huge. Like it started getting oh, over like everybody's house." Yeah, and they had I to hate like that. like basically like cut the shit down. I was like, "All right, my dream came true." Sorry. <laughs> uh, that's an important point to add. As as nice as that tree is in the backyard, it has fallen on our fence <laughs> and caused. 
a lot of money um, and damages, but uh, on the days it doesn't fall on us, it's pretty nice. Yeah, this is how you know we're from Brooklyn. We have no clue how to take care of nature. So you never got to see the tree? Not really, man. Like it was, it started growing. Kind of sad. It started growing like before we left, but like apparently yeah. the the heights it reached were uh, ridiculous. So got it. Yeah. So you had to cut it down. Yeah, tree in Bushwick. Yeah, a tree grows in Brooklyn. Oh, I saw this documentary. Um, this is real quick. It's called "I Love You Now Die." Oh, do you remember the story about the girl that convinced the boyfriend to commit suicide? Yeah. So. It's bigger than that. That was just a narrative by the media because it painted an easy story. Um, there's like mental illness on both sides and it's really good. I think you would really like it. Um, so definitely watch it. I'm not going to tell you just the ending, but. I love you now, die. Good. Okay. Good yeah. Teenagers <laughs> having once been one, uh, you are not a rational human being. You're not. You are you're not, not rational. That's the biggest thing. In courts, when kids commit crimes, it's like they don't have the ability to control some of these impulses. Their frontal cortex is not fully formed, and and it's true. Um, yeah, it's uh, kids do some crazy stuff. Yeah, what do you think of your man uh, Aesop Rocky uh, chilling in a Swedish jail right now? Uh, I think that there was enough in the video that I saw to prove that they were trying to de-escalate the situation. So it sucks that he's in there. I know recently they've been coming out with all these comments about stuff that he said um, in the past about um, civil rights in America and distancing himself from it. So I get where that backlash is coming from. But from a purely legal standpoint, I think they did more than enough to try to stop that whole thing. So he shouldn't be in jail right now. Yeah. If Trump helps get him out, is that is that is that good? No, because okay. the only reason he's doing that is because it would be Kanye West and Kardashian yeah. putting the pressure on him to do yeah. He wouldn't have did that otherwise. Yeah, basically Kim Kardashian came in a low cut shirt and he was like, Yes. <laughs> and nothing against, did you see nothing against had... Kim. Yo, use your resources. She's the smartest, yeah, baddest exactly. woman. I mean, in the use them for good. Yo. You know? yeah. <laughs> use them for good. I can't knock her. But they have a video of um Epstein and Trump Ugh. looking at women oh, in some sort of party. Did you see that? Your man owned a freaking beauty pageant, yo. He did. And there was um, there's an article on the Daily Beast about how that was tied to some sort of prostitution ring. And it's a really good article. I'm going to send it to you. I never saw the part two. Um, it's crazy because the first part came out a year ago and I never got a part two to that story. So I don't know if something happened to the reporter or they just <laughs> decided to kill the story. Uh, but it's 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 crazy how fucked up this guy is and how much slime he has on him. Uh. I know it's like if you go back and listen to um, any Howard Stern interview with Donald Trump, ugh, it's like how can that man be president? Howard Stern though, he's a he's a fascinating character, right? Because he just had a um, maybe a couple of months ago now an interview on uh, Fresh Air with Terry Gross, which I don't believe I just like name dropped Terry Gross, but um, who was Terry Gross? <laughs> that is the right response thank you jay now i thought terry cruz and then i'm like nah probably not <laughs> so fresh air fresh air is a show on npr and um terry gross she's like just does all these interviews and she's like this amazing interviewer and oh, stuff it's a woman yeah okay however i'm not i think she's a good interviewer i typically don't love when she interviews people of color because mm -hmm. i find she asks those like 
provocative questions that to me seem like they're for, um, it's like, tell me how bad it was growing up in the hood. It's like those types yeah. of questions that just fucking grate yeah, me. Yeah. Um, and I think it comes from a good place. I think it comes from curiosity, but I just, I've, I've listened to some of her interviews with people of color and it, it just sounds a little, but I guess maybe she's doing it because that's what an NPR audience is trying to ask to. Mm. Mm. Anyway, she had like a two-part interview with Howard Stern and he's actually done a lot of work on himself, like a lot of therapy. Like he's pretty self-aware that he was essentially an asshole for like d- few decades. Um, mm-hmm. And he's he's actually turned himself into like a very good interviewer. But it's crazy to listen back to that, all that old shit and just how misogynist he was, like dog whistle racist. I still don't understand Robin Givens on his show. I was just about to mention that. Uh, did anybody ever come for her during that whole time? I know, I don't think for the most part she was really included in black discussions. It was kind of like, oh, she's with Stern. Yeah. but And she was always in the cut, so you never really saw her. Yeah enough and it's like she kind of she was kind of like the voice of reason on the show but still laughing along was but you know yeah but it's still you're taking a paycheck to to be here (laughs) you know he's gonna say this shit yeah but yeah so i think stern has come a long way but it's crazy because like he's a perfect example do you give someone like him space to grow but yeah i brought it up just because like you listen to any of those old interviews on stern stern is kind of like egging him on and like sometimes half agreeing with shit is like there was something they put out the other day where Stern um, was interviewing him about The Apprentice and uh, Trump was like, oh yeah, we should have a new season of The Apprentice, an all black team versus an all white team. It'll be huge ratings. And Stern's like, yeah, yeah, it would. And it's just like, all right, both of y'all can shut the fuck up. So, yeah. What was that other shit you said? Oh, that uh, slave play? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, Hold on one second. I don't remember. Um, Slave play. The only thing that I knew about it at the time was a picture of, um, damn, I forget the actress's name. She was the star of Chirac, and she was also on Survivor's Remorse, that LeBron James produced show on Stars, I think. Right. I forget her name. Anyway, um, she's twerking in a slave costume in front of this white dude. All right, so this is and it was called slave. This play. is an off-Broadway play. Off-Broadway play. Okay. And that was all I knew. That one image, and I was like, "What the? Fuck? <laughs> like, what is? What is this?" So I ignored it for a while, and then um, I think on BET there was some interview with this guy, and I think uh, News Magazine came out with um, a description of the play and the logic behind it. So. Um, essentially what this what this writer did was um he was coming from this place that all white people in America are racist to an extent and they need to witness and be uncomfortable with that fact because they're not really put onto the spotlight. So I don't want to give too much um away about the overall plot, but damn. I don't think I can say anything without giving out the plot. Um, But it's essentially um, a way to show people, like, even those people who think, oh, you know, that might have been my great, 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 great grandparent, but I definitely don't think that way. And I'm all for civil rights and da, 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 da. To an extent, in some ways, um, that, I think the way he describes it is that wound hasn't healed yet, but we act like it did, even though it's festering right now. We still kind of ignore it. So um, 
the stage design that they mentioned was uh, a mirror facing the audience. So at certain times during the play, the lights come on. So the audience sees themselves witnessing this play. And um, the concept after reading those articles and hearing him speak about it were volumes different from what I initially thought, which was um, definitely a negative viewpoint of it. So I might, I mean, I'm curious to see it. All right. Uh, All right. You go, you go see it. You let me know if it's worth uh, worth my time next time I'm in New York. Well, you could buy my ticket. We could fund that um, to the podcast and I'll I'll pop up there in an Uber black. And Why am I buying your ticket? Well, <laughs> our corporation is only two people. I'm trying to, I'm so trying to make money off this somebody too. Somebody has to foot the bill, yeah. <laughs> yeah, can we? Yeah, to take some losses to make some some. some Why don't you self-fund it, yo? Uh, All right, microaggressive, uh, go fund me. Um, no, no, we're going to, don't worry. That, that sponsorship money's coming in. Though I'm sure somebody's gonna want to sponsor an entire show if we just talk about race and uh, racism, uh, which is what today's show has been. So I'll make it a little bit lighter um, for Shaft Two in theaters. There's my plug. Shaft. Keep going. Yes, I I saw the preview. It didn't look that funny. It was funny. I uh, <laughs> I thought it was funny. <laughs> um, completely changing the topic, yo. Um, so you, as you know, I'm you know I'm not sold on having my own kids. And, um, mm. you know, I feel like there's other ways I could fulfill my want to help the next generation, you know, volunteering. I've done a lot of stuff. Um, but I was bringing this up in therapy or something, and my therapist was like, you could get a vasectomy. I was like, yo, wow. I never thought of that. So now that's just like yeah. been like in my head for a minute. Um, in a good way or a bad way, like you could get as yeah, it's like that is the that ultimate option. You're like hesitant, or what? I mean, that's the ultimate. Put your money where your mouth is. So oh to yeah, speak. exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. But if I were to do it, should I like save? Should I put a, should I put some some backup? Nah, nah, that's all in. <laughs> when you go all in, you don't keep that that Benjamin in your back pocket. You put all, all that shit on the table. You gotta you gotta hold some chips just in case. Right, right. <laughs> nah, nah. <laughs> nah. If you if you bout that life, <laughs> that's it. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's a good way to phrase it, though, for the people who um who do share your same stance. Um, that's interesting. I like. Yeah. That. Like honestly, man, I I think the world is overpopulated. Um, I don't think my gene pool necessarily needs to be passed along to <laughs> the rest of the generation. I got enough family members that have done enough of that. Um, yeah, I guess that I never even considered that as an option. But yeah, like shoot blanks forever. Yeah, and that's uh, peace of mind. Although everybody should use everyone condoms. should use condoms uh, one at a time. Don't double up. Trojan branded, not skins. I'm sure it's too tight. <laughs> Uh, we we on that skin uh, skin lodge shout out. Oh yeah yeah lifestyle skin shout skin out. lodge shout out. Partnership, sponsorship. <laughs> but yeah, man, uh, I don't know. Maybe this might be something is in the back of my mind. I might do some research, but I feel like I feel like I, I might I might need to I might need some to store something back up. I don't know. Do you feel like it's a virility thing, and the idea of losing that makes you less uh, nah virile, less nah, not at all. No so psychological. No, thing? not at all. Um, yeah, I, no. Um, I think it's more like 
I'm open to the possibility that my mind might change. Um, like, let's say I had a partner who really, 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 really wanted a kid and I was on board with it. This would at least, and like, the, storing it is no guarantee, right? Like, the freaking refrigerator could melt or some shit, or like, the science doesn't work. Um, but the same way, like, even by natural methods, there's no guarantee, right? Like, I'm getting older. Like, um, but yeah, I feel like maybe that would give me like a little bit of peace of mind. But yeah, I guess go all in, go all in, snip, snip. Yeah, I don't know, man. That's a lot. Things to think about. And if we can get that funded too, that'd be cool. <laughs> I'm not paying for that. <laughs> Yo, my, I think I'm doing the world a service by not putting another person on it. Um, but what? but you're, you, you know, you, uh, you, you passed the test. You're, you're a good guy. Um, you can make a, a new version of you. They could somehow change the world like Tupac. I got problems though. I got problems y'all can't see. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> see i don't know yeah i think that's a lot of ego though and no offense but like like even if i did think i was great there's no guarantee i'm a <laughs> i'm a pass along greatness that's true yeah. yeah so i don't know man that's probably more talk about my uh my reproductive system than we usually do on the show yeah uh, would you ever if you and mrs j thought you were done would you ever uh would you ever cut off the supply chain yeah i think i would yeah like after I, everything's been said and done, yeah, I think so. Um, I think there are easier ways to do it. Although <laughs> if they came out with that pill, you know the FDA, uh, the male birth um, control pill, the male pill, birth control pill. If that comes out, and like I said, everything's said and done for us uh, in terms of kids, yeah, I would do. I it. would be so pissed if I went under surgery and then they came out with a pill like a week later. I'd be so mad, yeah. so mad. <laughs> How do you think those Propecia people felt? Like they missed their prime and they started to go ball real early. And uh, right when it's all gone and you can't gain it back, all of a sudden they come out with Propecia. I knew a kid um, with crazy baldness, male pattern baldness. I had to be 16, 17. And this guy had the the, the U-shaped horseshoe Sherman Helmsley almost. And I was like, damn, your life is... Life is fucked up. Yo, don't hate on those of us with the hairline going back, yo. Oh, no, my shit is pushing back, too. I'm just saying, so early, like, you didn't even get a chance to say goodbye. It just, <laughs> it just left me mad early. Like, when you're a baby, you're bald. And then you get, like, that good 10, 12 years, and then... I know. It's like, peace. You, man, never understood what it was like to have a fade back in the day. I know. Yo, this, yo what about the flat top? Oh. Yeah, I think I'm... I think I'm doing the i might try and do the blowout again i haven't it's been a minute since i let the hair grow it's been a minute i'm cutting it low for a while i'm cutting it low for years now but i feel like i'm not doing the mohawk anymore i'm not doing the beard i'm feeling a little boring i need i need something i just feel like if i do it i'm gonna have to like get lined up like every other day though yeah Yeah, that's a lot of work it's it's the ritual of going to a barbershop i think you need that addition back into your That's life. That's true. Yes. Can't be cutting your hair in the in the mirror forever. Yeah, yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. <laughs> now there actually is a barbershop not too far from me. And part of it, I was like, I should just go there for like support black business. Yeah. yeah. The barbershop, I feel like, is the only place as a guy where you're catered to. Is that true? 
unless you go to like massages and do your nails and stuff where else are you catered to in that way uh like pampered and shit yeah i mean it's not pampered the dude will brush off some hair and nah, yo <laughs> when they put you, that you powder on i'm like yo <laughs> i don't do that the little cream and the, the razor blade yeah, yeah yeah that is pampered you're yeah. right you're right who else is doing that for a dude in the, the course of an average month or yeah i'll get i'll go get a manicure from time to time mm. yeah. oh <laughs> that was judgment now <laughs> <laughs> no actually my um my dad he owns a he is renting out a um nail salon uh over on ocean avenue actually and the when they had that grand opening they let us go in and um, I don't like people touching my feet, but they did do one of those uh, feet, you know, pedicures, manicures, pedicures, yeah. pedicures. Yo, if uh, yo, every now you gotta treat yourself. You. It's cool once. Yo, treat yourself. And then I don't want you touching my feet. That's weird. Um, I have done that it. fish thing get though. You know, you go to the malls and they have the little fish that bite off the skin cells, the dead skin cells. On That's weird. I've tried that once in Thailand, and that was that was interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, to have people touch your feet, it's just it feels like demeaning to you and it's weird for me because i'm sitting above you and and i don't even do this shit so why are you doing this Um, yeah every now and then like it's okay to be taken care of like yeah every now and then but yeah keep your shits yeah keep yeah attention to detail people growing up in new york city summertime yo you get on the subway and like it's like sandal season and like some people just ain't ready for sandals be back feet yeah, all yeah. crusty and shit yeah. uh, can we that. get a GoFundMe? i don't want to put that on all women but there's a lot of women stop uh, it i know stop it yeah with the little little black foot black heel uh, i know new york is nasty and stuff but like they they got wet wipes for yeah. a reason are you going to if you gonna, they travel size if you going to put your shit out there please take care of it and dudes, and do everybody. Nah, dudes, it's the ashy knees. Ashiness. I'm, I'm guilty of that too. I think, oh, I'm sweating anyway. So I know. <laughs> yeah. Moisture is moisture. Unless you're doing cocaine, your fingernails don't need to be that long. <laughs> <laughs> Pimps used to do that. They used to grow that one long nail out to let you know they don't have to do anything uh, manual, also. Yeah. How you wipe your ass when your nails that long, though? Um, I just saw somebody recently do that. They use. What? Like the uh, the first digit. Uh, what, I didn't what, see somebody what, actually. Why did somebody wipe their ass? I don't think those sites are that detailed yet. But um, <laughs> oh, dude. I saw somebody simulating how they do it, and they're really using like the the second segment of the fingers to wipe. You're not, you're Although not really, you're not really wiping them. You really the uh, the fine tuning to yeah. really. What everyone needs is is the Toto C five hundred or the equivalents. You need the. Or the twenty four dollar equivalent <laughs> on Amazon. I think it's called My Chew. <laughs> I support that. No, shout out sponsorship. They sponsorship. sponsorship. Um, so who are we getting sponsorships from today? Uh, uh, toilets that clean your ass. Um, shaft. Condoms, shaft, Two. and uh, Trojans and nail salons, lifestyles. Yeah, and nail salons yeah. on Ocean Avenue. Yeah. If you, if you, if you, and all this will fund Jay to go see Slave Play. And uh, B to get his vasectomy, oh. <laughs> long term <laughs> fundraising. I'm still on the fence. I'm not. I'm not. This, I'm in the research. I'm in the gathering phase. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. I don't know. It's crazy to think that like we're at the age where you could make those decisions. Like, I, I know that sounds stupid because like you've gotten married and have a kid, but it's like mm-hmm. I still don't like see 
it's like, oh, word, we can make these decisions that have effect on your entire life, like get married, have a kid. Wait, make have a oh, having it. Yeah, that was yeah. that was a fun story. That's a hard thing. <laughs> so, uh, without giving too detailed, you know, as a single male, when you're with anybody, you're trained to like behave a certain way and then to like <laughs> drop that firewall down and now convince yourself to do it the way you've never done it um, ever intentionally is uh it's a it's a it's an obstacle like i think i know what you're saying i will give a metaphor i know and i'm trying to say it in the most polite way i will i'll like, give a metaphor but um, when i was in new zealand many years ago and decided to do uh paragliding uh so it was like tandem paragliding and so yeah yeah attached to the other person and he's like okay i'm gonna say go 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 and you just run and when we run, the parachute will open and then we're going to jump off this cliff. It's like crazy, right? So your man's like, okay, you ready? I'm like, yep. And my friends, they were going after me. And he was like, go, 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 go. So I'm running. And then he stopped saying go. So then I stopped. I slowed down. And he was like, no, go, 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 go. And you would literally have to fight every urge in your body that says, I am running off of a cliff. Exactly. That is it. That is the analogy for insemination. <laughs> To a T. Um, the crazy part, though, my friend said they noticed when I slowed down for half a second because they said my parachute was getting big. And then as I slowed, it started going down. Oh. I was like, I'm glad I did not know that. But he said he was going to keep saying go. So when he stopped saying go, yeah. I stopped. I took it very literally because I'm about to jump off a fucking cliff. <laughs> like, come on, B. Uh, the only way that I was um, comfortable doing skydiving was knowing that the first time you have to do tandem and somebody has to be attached to you. And I was comforted with the fact that if I died, like that guy would go down too. Is that messed up? Yeah. <laughs> like I couldn't just jump out by myself. I had to know that like somebody else was taking, taking a loss too. And I did it. And it was Is that fun. also your metaphor for uh, choosing to have a kid? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this was the... Uh... The other thing we were talking about the other week that apparently there are 22,000 pornography sites. That track you. That track you. what it was or, Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure they're hitting all the key ones. So. 22,000. That seems small, to be honest. Like, is that, that can't, that has to be like John and Beth from Topeka make their own website. Like, it can't be all like big no. company shit, right? I don't think so. 22,000. Wow. I think that that's reasonable. Oh. I, I do. Yeah. It's a network. Not going to get anything done next weekend. No. Um, <laughs> jokes. Jokes. 22,000. That's a lot, V. Yeah. People got a lot of time on their hands. A lot of time on their hands. It's a lot of money to be made. It's like a what billion dollar industry. Yeah, you gotta hit every market. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, you saw, it, especially with the internet, you saw getting like micro niche keywords. Yeah, yeah. There was. A- Do you remember your first uh, access to internet? Oh, I was watching a documentary. They were talking about how kids as young as I want to say eight to ten was the youngest. Um, careful where you go with this. Segment of kids who had been introduced to, 
Why? Oh, no, no, no. So they were asking high school kids and they were like, oh, you know, when was the first time you saw? And they saw that the number was pretty low. So they went one level down and they ended up getting to like, eight was like the, the, on the low end of the spectrum, average age was like 12-ish, sort of having their first access to the unfiltered internet and everything that's pornography. Mm. Um, So for me, it was like 14, but that was when, you know, stuff was getting off the grounds. So right, right about the um, time I met you. Interesting. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Bad influence. Yeah. Um, I remember definitely that I saw something and we had a printer. <laughs> it was a color printer. And I was like, damn. Some slow ass dot like, matrix shit. Like, so what happened was um, I had to go to dinner and it's printing. It's in a common room, but nobody's going to that common room. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to take this chance. <laughs> I'm going to hit print. So it jams up, nothing prints out. Um, I think I go downstairs and I eat dinner or whatever and almost completely forgot about it. Just happened to be walking past the computer. And I saw in the printer slot was like the full color picture of everything I was trying to print out. And um, that was my first access to the internet. Your mom, your mom was like, why are we always running out of ink? <laughs> I remember uh, it must have been like seventh grade. Uh, there was a um, there was a newsstand that this kid was like, "Yo, we'll go into the newsstand," and they would let you buy if no one else was in the store. He would sell you like Playboy or, or whatever. Mm, mm. Um, and I just remember like that like pit in your stomach, like oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. Um, I don't even know what I bought. It was just like. Just for the sake of having it. Um, so yeah, back in my day, you had to get your pornography on paper. Um, but yeah, uh, and then there was always like Maxim and stuff and stuff that was like basically. But yeah, uh, and then the interwebs. Yeah, man, shout out to uh, the early uh, search engines, uh, Alta Vista, Yahoo, uh because you would get different results on the different search engines. This is like the pre-Google days. But did we realize at the time the level of unfiltered uh, access that we had at the time? I think as I get older and, you know, I have a kid now and uh, I think about their access and how I'm going to, how, how I'm going to institute <laughs> restrictions on certain things. But even then when we were signing into those websites, like everything possible in yeah, man. sexually was available to us. And they were talking about how um, girls or adolescent females, they watch it for one reason. Guys watch it for another reason. Obviously, guys watch it um, for stimulation. Girls were watching it to get education on how to do certain things in order to please yeah. people. And I was like, damn, that's yeah. that's deep, yeah. I mean, there's, there's still, I mean, there's a whole movement in um, the adult industry to make like uh, films and from like different perspectives. So it's not just like all white male directors. There's like female yeah. directors, there's LGBT, there's like different. So like people like, yo, sexuality is complex. It's not like mm-hmm. bang, bang, finish, right? Uh, so to speak. And um, there's a good podcast came out like two years ago. I think we've talked about it. It's called The Butterfly Effect. And um, this reporter did this whole, his his whole thesis was like, when uh, free porn proliferated on the internet, what was the effect it had on everything? 
So it's mm-hmm. like talks about the rise of Pornhub and the effect it had on the adult industry, the effect it had on kids, the effect it had on performers in the adult industry, the effect it had on so many things, right? Just from like this dude who was really smart figuring out how to get porn on the internet. No, it's fascinating. It was like the perfect thing for me. It was like sociology meets sexuality meets business. Um, but yeah, man, like back in the day, like all that like scrambled Cinemax, Skinemax, HBO late at night stuff. Like, yeah, there's like no room for that stuff anymore. Right? It's very like you get anything you want, anytime people, it's all keyword search. It's, it's like, it's crazy, dude. I... I truly, that's the crazy. I truly recommend yeah. the uh, the podcast. It's, it's fascinating. Um, yeah, good luck to little Jay, man. Uh, he's gonna have a lot, lot out there. Uh, I hope people. Yeah, it's good in some ways, but it's also. I mean, humans. We act like every generation acts like they invented sex, right? Like people have been trying to like mm-hmm. figure out shit forever. But they said because of the internet or because of the proliferation of stuff, it's actually. Like a lot of young men have uh, problems with arousal. Uh, I believe that. And so like they say in the army, like a lot of, a lot of soldiers get Viagra prescriptions because uh, they come home and they like, you know, they can't. Okay. Yeah, it's crazy. That's, um, that is crazy. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's a psychological change that happens. Um. Although some people contest that that's not the case um, and say there's no such thing as uh, addiction. So there's really no definitive answer to it. Yep. Yep. Just uh, enjoy having fun. Yeah. Until I tell you it's not, <laughs> it's not conducive to life and then stop doing Until it. Until you do start growing hair on your palms. Uh, what are we listening to this week? Oh, oh, didn't we have that idea? Oh, the idea of all the music from our parents' generation that is nasty as hell. That is mm, nastier than, or just that. as nasty as the stuff they used to give us shit about. Yes, yes, yes. We will do that. Right, what do we got? Um, like Clarence Carter, Stroking. Clarence Carter, Stroking. It was a Sylvester song. I think it was Sylvester talking about the first time he had sex. There was uh, uh, a Minnie Ripperton, um, Come Inside Me. <laughs> Uh, uh, yep. Uh, <laughs> there are a couple. Yeah, that's, I mean, there's a lot, lot actually. I should there's say there are a lot. Uh, yeah. We'll pick the nastiest yeah. one. All the, all the nasty R&B and funk and rock stuff that our parents listened to and then told us our music was too nasty. But I can't listen to R. Kelly. Actually, though, they might yeah, be right about that guy. Let's not, bring, um, let's not bring it up. <laughs> but I can't listen to Shy Ma. <laughs> I can't listen to that skit on a total album. No Jodeci, no knocking boots, <laughs> no H Town. Um, yeah, I mean, like, do it till you're satisfied. Come on, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's all. <laughs> it was not subtle. It was, it was not. not subtle. It was not. Uh, again, every generation thinks they uh, they invented sex. It was some story about uh, Super Freak, and when he came out with that song. Um, it took over. He met a lot of women through that song because they wanted to know what a super freak was. I think that was how he met uh, the Exorcist girl, the girl from the Exorcist. She was grown by that time. Uh, what's her name? Linda Blair. Linda Blair was with Rick James? All because of that song. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. Okay. 
I got a couple of songs. That was a random fact. I'm still off and on on that book. And that's the one that he wrote himself before they polished it up. Sometimes it's hard to read. <laughs> Sometimes it's very disjointed. Like they'll tell a story and then never follow up. <laughs> like one time I met this guy and some crazy shit happened. Uh, next day. And you never hear about it. <laughs> Cocaine is a hell of a drug. That's what they say. It is. It is. But he found himself in some crazy, crazy shit. Uh, it was like a Kramer almost. He missed the um, Sharon Tate when she got murdered by the, who was that Manson. guy? Crazy guy. Manson, the Manson family. He was supposed to go to that party. And I think he overslept <laughs> and didn't end up going. Yeah. If that's not yeah. the most Rick James story. <laughs> it was definitely from doing coke, though. I'm almost <laughs> almost positive. He, he was too high and he was just like, nah, I'm not going to go. <laughs> yeah, that's a good Rick James story. Uh, what have we learned this week? Uh, uh, racism sucks. I think that was the racism, racism sucks. sucks. Uh, Do shit your way, your own yeah. way. Um, I've been trying to beat that point in. Hopefully, I made it clear at some point during this conversation. Yeah. Uh, shout out to uh, nature. I guess we talked about nature. Uh, oh, I thought you meant the rapper. Oh. <laughs> He still, yeah, he's like locked up, isn't it? I don't know. Uh, we also talked about uh, uh, adventures of teenage uh, J and B, and uh, thankful that we weren't killed uh, trying to uh, be teenagers uh, and get to know people. Um, yeah, I think that's a good summary of that. Yeah, I think yeah. that's pretty good. I'm gonna peep that butterfly effect. Butterfly uh, effect podcast. Ashley talk. Uh, and uh, shout out to our sponsors who will sponsor uh, the potential uh, vasectomy uh, or tickets to play. Uh, <laughs> or. It's like it's like on PBS when they have those drives. Like you get a tote bag or something else. Yeah, choose your adventure. You can guide this podcast. You can. Before. You can. <laughs> Uh yeah man uh, stay warm stay warm stay cool in the uh, New York City I'll try to uh hot box over there yeah I so I haven't been to Chinatown yet and I tell you you know some people say summer is when like birds come out and you know sun is beaming and blah 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 um summer for me is when I get to Chinatown and it smells like hot spit <laughs> like drying on the street. <laughs> And I haven't been to uh, Chinatown to uh, see that yet, but that's what signifies something mm. to me as a New York kid. Right. Um, that's awesome. Really making me want to come back to New York right now. No, nah, I just, I was trying to think of like a way to sum up, how do you describe a summer in New York? And they always like beautify it and make it sound nice. But that to me is no, summer. Summer in New York. York is you take a shower in the morning, you get on the subway and you feel disgusting five minutes later. Yeah, and you could be standing across from the most beautiful person in the world, and you are disgusted by humanity because everyone is hot and nasty, and not in that like glistening, like sweat kind of way, in that like that's like dirty, that sweat. dirty sweat. It got some of that, some of that smoke, some of that perfume in it. <laughs> sticky, sticky. And then for the people that don't have the pedicure game on, point is even worse. It's just like yo, New York City summer is gonna be the worst. I miss it though, um, but you you enjoyed on my behalf right now. I'll yeah. try, I'll try. All right, uh, yeah, we'll do this again next week. All right, okay. one, one. one.